Thanks for stopping by Solving for B, the business podcast at the intersection of branding and marketing. In this week's edition, we'll explore how a strong brand can help companies withstand unfavorable events in the marketplace. So settle in and enjoy the latest chapter of Solving for B with Brand Extract. Hello there, and thanks for joining us today for the Solving for B podcast. Uh, today we're going to be discussing brand insulation, uh, what it is, how it happens, why it's important, uh, and, and even some of the drawbacks to having an insulated brand. Uh, to help me address the topic today, I'm joined by data science advisor Dr. Vikas Matal from Rice University. Hi, everybody. Nice to <laughs> uh, thanks for lending us a little bit of your time today. Um, so, so I think just to set a baseline for the topic, uh, Vikas, can you, can you first just give us a brief high-level definition of brand, brand insulation? What does it mean? Sure. So um, if you're in marketing or if you're in communication or um, anything customer-related, we're always told that we need to have a strong brand. right? So strong brand is a good brand. right? So the brand insulation is this phenomena that strong brands insulate themselves or insulate their customers from negative experiences. So, so a classic example of a strong brand is that um, let's say you have a brand and customers have a very high level of commitment toward the brand and something negative happens, right? So rather than reacting negatively toward the brand, the brand is insulated in the sense that customers will come up with alternative explanations or discount the negative information. And in the process, their original commitment to the brand can become even stronger. So this is the phenomena of brand insulation. So they'll become more ardent defenders, even if the, like I think as you mentioned, the uh, the empirical evidence points the other way. They'll, Correct. They'll make up explanations and stuff. Correct. Which, which hits home for me. I, there are a few that, uh, you know, I guess brands that are, I, don't know, I guess, insulated for me. Um, does, it, does it work potentially in the other way? Can, can brands be insulated to a point where the positive, um, the positive things surrounding that brand or the positive circumstances surrounding that brand um, aren't, that, that we don't, I guess they don't reap the benefits of positivity of their brand, or is, is that not a, a thing? Yeah, so, so the, the core idea in brand insulation is this idea of customer commitment, right? So the customers are committed to the brand, which also means that the customers like the brand in its current form. So when brands are highly insulated through high customer commitment, it also means that you have some level of customer rigidity around the brand, that they don't want to see the brand changed too much from what it is that they're committed to, right? So, so you see some of these phenomena, uh, you know, a few years ago when IKEA tried to change the type font in its uh, catalog. Uh, there was a huge backlash in, uh, online, and people wrote to the IKEA, uh, uh, you know, head office that don't change the type font and stuff like that. And you might think it's such a small thing, they're just changing the type font. But it turned out that the people who were the most upset were also the ones who were the most committed to the IKEA brand. And a lot of these were architects, uh, furniture designers, and, and they actually saw some deeper meaning in the type font 
in terms of how they related to the brand. So just changing the type font in the catalog caused a lot of heartburn to highly committed customers. Mm-hmm. So, so this is part and parcel of what comes with high customer commitment is the customers like the brand in its original form and they don't want the brand to be changed quite a bit. So in some sense, it can, under certain circumstances, impede brand development. It can impede creativity and so on and so forth. And so in in a way, it's almost like those, those I hear friends of mine talk about the purity of, of like a game like sports or the purity of a brand. So it seems like these customers kind of, they value the purity, quote unquote, purity of a particular brand and anything done, whether it could be positive, positively received outside or it could be a necessary change uh, that, that taints the, that purity. Uh, one example that comes to mind, you know, in preparation, we spoke about a couple of different examples for me. Um, the Disney fan, so um, I, I know that you know if they make certain changes to different things, they shut things down. I understand the reason for it, but there's there's a there's a sector of people who consider themselves Disney fans who are going to push back on that a little further. Star Wars, to me, is you know, speaking of Disney, is a huge. Uh, example. I mean, the first three Star Wars movies, obviously, you know, any, if anybody loved those movies, um, the the next three that came out, I mean, I, I've heard people disclaim those as if they, they're not even part of the actual Oh, absolutely franchise. correct, right? So, so one of the iconic brands in this case was Oldsmobile. And, you know, Oldsmobile as a car brand has had its own cult following and people who loved it. To the extent that Oldsmobile did not really change the brand. And as the customers got older, I mean, it literally became the Oldsmobile. And if you remember that they tried to rebrand it as not your father's Oldsmobile, and it just did not work, because it just becomes harder to institute any changes in the brand, because people who are highly committed to the brand they see themselves having like a deeper relationship with the brand, right? So any change that you make in the brand is seen as a transgression, and they don't like it. Was that a case of a brand possibly paying too much attention to their to their advocates, to their core market, and not, you know, pulling the trigger earlier, trying to to trying to keep up with the times? They stayed steeped in that brand, right? So. You know, so so there are a couple of um, things that you need to think through when you, you know, develop commitment to a brand, right? So, so Apple is a great example of a very good brand that has cultivated high brand commitment, and yet it has retained flexibility of change, right? So it's trained its customers to expect changes in the brand, and, and, and especially in the product itself. Right. So so the ethos of the brand, which is, you know, very high quality, which is beautiful design, which is the latest technology, that ethos doesn't change. But Apple has trained its customers to expect changes in the product and its functionality to the point where customers look forward to that. And would you believe it? Pay more and more <laughs> for a product that's actually cheaper and cheaper to produce theoretically. Right. Well, it and and I, I think that Apple's a great example. Um, as as you mentioned in preparation for the episode, um, they they recently came out and said that you know we we systematically um, the battery life kind of on these older models maybe starts diminishing and 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 such. And that hasn't seemed 
you know, for, for a, maybe a less strong brand or a less insulated brand, that could have some serious impact on their, um, on their sales. But because they are insulated, people just accept that as, you know, hey, that's the price of doing business. Well, and uh, it's not even just like th- this is the price of doing business. You know, uh, the, the crux of insulated brands is that when customers are very committed to the brand, e- even when they confront negative information, they find a way to justify that in their own mind, right? So they'll say, oh, of course, it makes sense that they have to do it. Because if they didn't do it, how could they get people to adopt the newer battery, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, this is just uh, news, right? It's not done so widely. So the basic point is that any negative information, people counter-argue it and don't really accept it, right? So, so we talked about this. The, the classic phenomena of brand insulation actually occurs in politics, right? So we are kind of living in divided times. And, and you think of, you know, Hillary Clinton as a brand and you think of, you know, Donald Trump as a brand. So for both of them, there is a core group of supporters who have extremely high commitment to each of them, right? So there's a group of voters who is extremely committed to the Trump brand. And anything you you say to these voters, which is against the Trump brand, only helps to reinforce the original commitment to the Trump brand. Right. Right? Same thing for Hillary Clinton. Right? So there's a group of voters who is extremely committed to the Hillary Clinton brand. And anything you say to these voters against the Clinton brand will only reinforce their original commitment because that your criticism of Clinton will give them a reason to defend the brand and reinforce the original positive interpretation they had of the brand. And, and that's the essence of commitment, right? But you can also see now, um, if you think of, you know, people are extremely committed to the Trump brand, that if Trump tries to veer even slightly away from whatever the original branding is, these are the people who are going to be the most disappointed. So in some sense, a strong brand also boxes itself in. Right. It, it's... And I have to think, and I mean, those are very good examples, but even, I mean, even something like a car brand, or I mentioned the Disney, you know, I have an affinity for Disney. Um, I think there's something that there's, you identify with that brand. That's where a lot of those correlations, I guess these, um, these, um, these high commitment customers, these people who are truly highly committed to a brand, a lot of it's it's part of your identity. It's, you know, like for me, for example, with the, I mentioned the Disney thing, um, you know, people around the office here, you know, they if anybody's going to Disney or a new Disney movie comes out, they come talk to me because I'm the quote unquote Disney guy here. So I think there's something to, if, if, something comes some negative attention comes out about someone something that you identify with a brand you identify it with you almost feel a sense of personal correct attack almost correct. so 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 the idea here is like you know a uh, brand uh, and identity overlap right so the strong relationship comes with there's something about the brand that you find you have in common with it right so so people who have toyota or people who have a honda car Rarely do these people think that this is going to enhance their image or like get them to be appealed as fashionable. But the Toyota or the Honda is seen as a very consistent brand. It's a reliable brand. It signals that you are frugal, that you don't waste money, and all of those kinds of things, right? So, so, so using Toyota consistently over time 
actually helps you to reinforce your own identity in that, that regard, right? And if you think about Toyota, um, you know, I used to have a Toyota for a long time and I used it consistently. Every day I used to go to work and come back to work. Over time, I saw that the brand promise that Toyota had made, that this is a car that will give good gas mileage. This is a car that won't have a lot of repair. This is a car that will not cost you a lot in terms of maintenance. That promise was fulfilled. So that actually strengthened my relationship with the brand, right? So when the, the Toyota uh, brake fiasco happened about five or six uh, years ago when you know, there were like a lot of reports in the media, I still remember when somebody came back, told me, oh, you know, because all these brakes are failing and stuff, like, not mine. <laughs> I don't see it. And, and we did a study about that. And what we found is even in the midst of all of this, when all of this was at the height of its news controversy, Toyota owners, their opinion of Toyota and their likelihood to buy a Toyota did not change at all. Even in the midst of, the midst I mean, of, even with evidence that right in the middle are, of it, right? So are when failing, the, and it, it, yeah. I mean, an admission of Toyota, there's recalls and such. Right. So even with all it that, didn't change at all, right. right? And so, so, so the the strategic point in all of this was like, you know, somebody had told that, you know, there was like a bunch of articles that Toyota should start discounting its, you know, cars, and they should lower their prices to sell more cars. And our thought was that in fact Toyota should do none of that, and all Toyota should do is go back to its owners, apologize if they have to, and go back to the owners and say, look, if there's any defect, we'll fix it free of cost, and we'll give you the white glove treatment. That's exactly what Toyota did. And within a few years, one or two or three years, everything, their stock price bounced up, uh, you know, their sales bounced up, and everything was all good. Back immediately. So, I mean, we've talked about it on this podcast before. A lot of times, and it's a little sidebar, but a lot of times the way you deal with those crisis situations, you know, it will, will impact um, how you ultimately come out of it. But that's a topic for another day. Um, can you talk a little bit, uh, or can you, you know, We've talked a little bit about high commitment customers. How do you create high commitment customers? Is it is it simply um, just creating a great product? Is it? I mean, how how do you do it? Well, so creating a great product is the least of it, right? So, um, you know, we've done a bunch of research, and you've you know, so so as we were talking earlier, uh, in B two B companies, only seventeen percent of the value that customers see in a brand comes out from product and service quality. Everything else around it is what creates value for the customer, right? So so if you create just a good product, so people have this misnomer that people who buy Apple, it's because of the great product. If you objectively look at it, all the other phones are not so terribly bad, right? But what Apple has, which most other brands cannot do, is an amazing buying experience, is an amazing service experience, is an amazing experience in terms of managing all the online content, in terms of the simplicity, in terms of the connectivity. So if you're going to create high brand commitment, you've got to focus on the customer's experience. That experience has to be consistent. It's got to it's got to tap into the one or two promises that you made. Like, so if Toyota's promise is, you know, low expenditure and high product quality, meaning low repair, that's the big thing that Toyota promises, and that's what they keep delivering day in and day out. 
So, so a, a brand really has to identify the one or two things that they deliver really well on, consistently deliver on it, so the customer then starts to see the relationship between himself, herself, and the brand, and that's how you create commitment. I think the key word there is consistency, right? The, and and um, I think brands can sometimes get caught up trying to deliver, trying to be everything to everyone, um, when in fact, if you want to create this brand insulation, if you want to create these high commitment customers, it really seems like what you should do is narrow your promise and just hammer that home, deliver on that. Um, is that, I mean, would you say that's oh, accurate? Yeah. Absolutely, right? So, so, so we just, um, you know, uh, we just finished this study, uh, this concept of uh, ordinary and extraordinary experiences, right? So it's a lot of times there is this misnomer running around that if you want to have like, ex- you know, a high, high, high level of brand commitment, somehow you've got to create extraordinary experiences all the time. In the, and if you're thinking of an extraordinary experience, by default, you're thinking of experiences that are inconsistent, because they've got to be out of the norm, right? And yet, you find a lot of the brands that are the most valuable brand, like Google, right? I mean, when was the last time Google created an extraordinary experience? Half the time, people don't even remember when they use Google. It's being used in their sleep, right? McDonald's. Who goes to McDonald's for an extraordinary experience, right? But a lot of people go to McDonald's. A lot of people use Google. A lot of people, you know, drink Coca-Cola, Walmart. Just for getting consistency, right? So it's, it's really the ordinary things in the brand consumption experience that count. You know, even if you think of Disney, people always forget the ordinary things that Disney does really well. You know, just the cleanliness of the bathrooms, you know, the management of the lines, you know, making sure that the, uh, the, service, uh, you know, the service employees are always smiling. That's what creates the experience. Yes, the rides are part of it, you know, but you you really have to ask the people who've gone to the Disney uh, thing for the 15th time, like, what did they find that was so new in the ride? But it's the experience that counts, and that really matters. That's that's an excellent point, because as I mentioned, you know, speaking for someone who is one of those Disney folks, um, rarely, you know, when I'm when I'm on my crusade to try to get people to join me on these trips, but when I go to, to Disney World, rarely do I talk about, oh, well, it's the roller coaster, or it's this, it's that. It's it's about the experience, about, you know, I, I, I often reference the cleanliness of, a, of the park. I often reference the helpfulness of every employee, the, the fact that they're smiling, things like that, and the attention to detail. Um, it, very rarely is it the, I guess, the, the product um, of, of, you know, riding a ride or something like that. Exactly. So that's a really good point. Um, so what are, we touched a little bit on uh, earlier on, uh, the drawbacks, um, is it, uh, one of the drawbacks to having an insulated brand is that, um, those, those customers that are, 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 you know, fiercely loyal to the brand, they're more invested in every decision that you make, so you're going to get pushback. Are there any other drawbacks in particular that you can think of to having a high-commitment customer? Sure. Uh, you know, so remember, um, having customers who have high commitment also means that that segment of your customer base is a small segment, Right. So so the trick then is not if you're going to have customers who are very committed to your brand, you also need to make sure that your general strategy 
matches up with that, right? So, so if Apple worldwide actually has a small market share of the telephone, the, the, you know, the handset market, but all of the customers in the phone market that Apple has, Apple is able to charge higher price, right? So if you're going to go for the strategy of building very high customer commitment, then you've got to also have the right pricing strategy. You've got to also have the right product experience strategy so you can be very consistent in it. And all of the, you know, so being consistent actually is quite expensive, right? So, so you've got to be able to create the ability to charge higher prices to your customers. And that's, again, a trick. It's, that it's not that value. easy. It's, it's creating the right perceived value that cannot be easily matched by competitors. And that also creates this connection with the customer. So it, all those things have to come together for you to be able to insulate your brand in the larger marketplace. When you mentioned like the pricing strategy and such, there, I think there's also something to having the right, I mean, maybe it's every strategy around the business, but I mean, there's a communication strategy that goes into it. If, if I mean, there's Apple forums and, and these, these, these um, particular brands, Google has this community of people. You have to allow those people to congregate, so, you know, so to speak, or, you know, kind of provide a way to connect those people so that they um, can find a sense of community because there sure. is an emotional appeal at the end of the day, right? So, so that's a very good point. Uh, so when you use the word communication strategy, I would say, uh, because communication a lot of times is construed as the company talking to its customers. I would say that for high commitment brands, the company really needs to have a listening strategy, right? So the company in many cases might take a little bit of a backseat and then listen to what the highly committed customers are saying. So if you think of a forum, if you think of a chat rooms, uh, if you think of as like events, yeah. a big role for the company is to be the facilitator and then listen and then get ideas in terms of what to do and what not to do. Right, and that's I think that's where the trick is because, I mean, I, I, I think back to your Oldsmobile example. It's, you know, there's there's no shortage of ideas coming out of those sectors or those groups of people that are fiercely loyal to your brand, but it's which ones are we going to enact? Which ones are we, you know, at the risk of sometimes maybe angering, you know, um, that that core part of your, your audience. Yeah. Um, so knowing which one to, which ones to listen to and which ones to, to not listen to. And, and, and that's a good point because the, the main, Let's say you, you're listening to your you know, core customers and you've figured out like these are the three potential ideas. I think the, the incorrect thing would be to just go ahead and do something and then wait for your customers to react. The correct way to do it is you know, um, get buy-in from the customers. And these are not things that are extremely difficult. All, you know, so I've seen companies, what they'll do is like, let's say they have three potential ideas. They might just, you know, uh, throw those ideas back at their customers and see, you know, can we have like a little bit of voting on these to see which one is most popular? Or we are thinking of doing idea one and two. Can you tell us what the pluses and minuses of each idea are? So the main point is, through those forums, through those chat rooms, et cetera, et cetera, you are able to get people to voice their opinions and concerns before you select an idea. You know, so in some sense, it's like taking a balloon full of air and just deflating it a little bit. Just the ability 
you know, just the thought that the company actually wanted to listen to me, even if your idea doesn't get adopted, that gets a lot of mileage for the company. So, right. so people are more interested, these committed customers are more interested in getting heard and getting a feeling that somebody's interested in listening to them rather than, oh, my idea has got to be adopted. So that's right. the that's the general point. So I want to talk really briefly uh, about the the idea that um, that if if there's you know if there's a crisis for a brand or insulin, how can how can creating those customers um, or you know creating those I guess insulated customers or those highly loyal customers, how exactly does that translate to? The bottom line, say there's a crisis or there's something, um, you know, something negative happening around your brand. How does it? How does having those loyal customers, yeah, actually insulate you from those negative experiences? So you know, so so it was like this very interesting study run about um, Nike, right? So so one of the professors from University of Minnesota, she ran this study, and um, what they do is they take. Two, you know, uh, two groups of customers, one who has very high commitment to the Nike brand and one who has low commitment. And just as a thought, you know, so they give like some really negative news about Nike to these customers. And then they basically studied what happened, right? So few things came out of that study. First, customers who were highly committed to Nike, they completely discounted the negative article. Right. Then the second is they were three times more likely to counter argue the negative article and say the article must have been wrong. And third, the likelihood to buy a Nike shoe for the highly committed customers did not change at all. Whereas for the low commitment customers, the likelihood to buy the shoes went down. Right. So so this is the main idea that highly committed customers are like a firewall, right? So for Toyota, when the brake incident happened, you had highly committed customers who were not only willing to buy the Toyota brand, but they did not need a discount, right? So it's during these negative events that highly committed customers can be the firewall and really help the company. And, and that's how you, you make money. And, and, and research actually shows, right? So, so it's, it's very interesting that companies that have high brand commitment or a very strong brand, yes, the average, average stock price is a little bit higher. But the more interesting finding is that it's the variance of the stock price that's lower. So high commitment customers or very strong brand lower the volatility of your stock price. Excellent. Basically, that's, that's the big thing. Yeah. Right? That there's, your stock becomes less volatile if your brand becomes stronger. And that's the big role played by customer commitment. And thus more, you know, more desirable for, you know. Stockholders. Yeah, stockholders and such. Well, that's that's really fascinating stuff. Um, well, so I think that, that pretty much covers everything for today. Uh, I really appreciate the time, Vikas. Thanks for stopping by. Um, and we're looking forward to the next time we get you in the studio. Thank you. Yep, have a good one. Thanks. That's a wrap for this week's edition of Solving for B by Brand Extract. If you enjoyed the show, you can check out more by heading over to iTunes or Google Play. You can also visit us at brandextract.com to learn more about the business value of branding. Thanks for stopping in, and we'll see you next time.